and welcome to the Actually Autistic Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Onstad. Today, I'm going to talk about bullies and narcissists. One of the most difficult parts about being autistic is the relentless bullying that starts in childhood and often continues for the rest of our lives. An autistic child learns very early on that there is no such thing as a safe space. The dynamics of holistic design social structures means that in every group of people, no matter how randomly selected, there will be a designated head bully with a support structure. The bully narcissist defines the boundaries of the group and defends them. If there is a bully, then there must be a scapegoat, and that will be the person least likely or able to fight back. By persecuting and eventually driving off or killing the scapegoat, then the group's boundaries are maintained and people who remain feel secure in their place in the group. The sacrifice of the scapegoat makes them feel like they belong and so they don't interfere. Of course, once a scapegoat has left, then a new one must be found by either recruiting one or choosing one that is already in the group. In a workplace, the process is simple. You just hire one. In a school, there are always new students coming in and current scapegoats are held captive. So, in the two realms where autistics are often forced to interact in groups, this dynamic is constant and relentless. It can feel very personal to the scapegoat, like there is something wrong specifically with them when they go from school to school and job to job and always encounter the same dynamic. To be clear, unfortunately, it is not just holistics who behave this way. Autistics can be bullies and culpable bystanders too but it's a social structure based on status-seeking and conformity, which are holistic social values. Now, all of this is very depressing, but once I understood that it truly wasn't my fault and that nothing I could do would make a difference, then I was able to make informed choices about where and how I interact with others, and it became very easy for me to spot the bullies and scapegoats in any group. It does not appear to matter what the politics, gender mix, or ethnicity of the group. They all seem to have this dynamic, based on my experiences in the United States. It may well be different in other cultures, but based on my readings of history, it seems to be a pervasive human pattern. Truly, the only way to win this game is not to play. However, we are often in situations where that is not an option. So what can you do? Well, keeping a journal and screenshotting abusive emails and messages can be vital. By doing so, it helps you to avoid being gaslit and provides documentation for when the bully inevitably lies. You can use the gray rock technique. This definition of the gray rock method comes from an excerpt of a medicalnewstoday.com article called, What is the gray rock method? Begin quote, the Grey Rock method involves communicating in an uninteresting way when interacting with abusive or manipulative people. The name Grey Rock refers to how those using this approach become unresponsive, similar to a rock. The technique may involve avoiding interactions with the abusive person, keeping unavoidable interactions brief, giving short or one-word answers to questions, communicating in a factual, unemotional way. End quote. Now, I see a lot of articles claiming that the point of this is to make the narcissist bored, but I don't actually see that as a viable outcome. 
the narcissist bully isn't picking on you solely for their entertainment, although that is clearly part of it. They are doing it because that is their function within the group. You being boring isn't going to change that. The value in going gray rock is to give yourself some control over your own reactions. You will be harder to gaslight and you will have an easier time with self-regulation overall. The bully narcissist may well become even more angry when their ability to goad you into a public meltdown has been curtailed. Other people watching the interaction are more likely to empathize with you if they perceive that you don't react as if the things the bully is saying have merit. If the abuse is physical, then document it and tell someone that you can trust immediately. There are therapists for adults that specialize in dealing with workplace trauma. I had one that was very helpful after I was bullied out of a PhD program at Oregon State University. He told me about a wonderful organization called the Workplace Bullying Institute. Their website is workplacebullying.org. That's W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E-B-U-L-L-Y-I-N-G dot O-R-G. And I cannot recommend it enough. It is full of resources and has been very useful in my approach to handling bullies. Another resource that shifted my approach to narcissists forever is an essay called 20 Diversion Tactics Highly Manipulative Narcissists, Sociopaths, and Psychopaths Use to Silence You by Shahida Arabi. And I'll spell that for you. Shahida is S-H-A-H-I-D-A and Arabi is spelled A-R-A-B-I. Shahida has a book called Power, Surviving and Thriving After Narcissistic Abuse. Her article is on the website Thought Catalog at thoughtcatalog.com. This is a very well-written list that goes into a lot of detail, and I'm not going to read all of it here. Each item on the list has a few paragraphs of explanation, and it is well worth the read. I'm going to go over the list in brief, and I really encourage you to seek it out and read it in full. You can find it via Google by typing in the name of the article, 20 Diversion Tactics Highly Manipulative Narcissists, Sociopaths, and Psychopaths Used to Silence You. Begin quote. A deep dive into understanding the narcissistic sociopath, psychopath, and other antisocial personalities. Toxic people, such as malignant narcissists, psychopaths, and those with antisocial traits, engage in maladaptive behaviors in relationships that ultimately exploit, demean, and hurt their intimate partners, family members, and friends. They use a plethora of diversionary tactics that distort the reality of their victims and deflect responsibility, although those who are not narcissistic can employ these tactics as well. Abusive narcissists use these to an excessive extent in an effort to escape accountability for their actions. Here are the 20 diversionary tactics toxic people use to silence and degrade you. Number one, gaslighting. Gaslighting is a manipulative tactic that can be described in different variations of three words. That didn't happen, you imagined it, and are you crazy? Gaslighting is perhaps one of the most insidious manipulative tactics out there because it works to distort and erode your sense of reality. It eats away at your ability to trust yourself 
and inevitably disables you from feeling justified in calling out abuse and mistreatment. When a narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath gaslights you, you may be prone to gaslighting yourself as a way to reconcile the cognitive dissonance that might arise. Two conflicting beliefs battle it out. Is this person right, or can I trust what I experienced? A manipulative person will convince you that the former is an inevitable truth, while the latter is a sign of dysfunction on your end. In order to resist gaslighting, it's important to ground yourself in your own reality, sometimes writing things down as they happened, telling a friend, or reiterating your experience to a support network can help to counteract the gaslighting effect. The power of having a validating community is that it can redirect you from the restored reality of a malignant person and back to your own inner guidance." End quote. Now, number two is projection, and I can't read the full text on all of them, so I'm only going to read full excerpts of a few of the items on the list. Number three, begin, quote, Nonsensical conversations from hell. If you think you're going to have a thoughtful discussion with someone who is toxic, be prepared for epic mindfuckery rather than conversational mindfulness. Malignant narcissists and sociopaths use word salad circular conversations, ad hominem arguments, projection, and gaslighting to disorient you and get you off track. Should you ever disagree with them or challenge them in any way? They do this in order to discredit, confuse, and frustrate you, distract you from the main problem, and make you feel guilty for being a human being with actual thoughts and feelings that might differ from their own. In their eyes, you are the problem if you happen to exist. Spend even 10 minutes arguing with a toxic narcissist and you'll find yourself wondering how the argument ever began at all. You simply disagreed with them about their absurd claim that the sky is red, and now your entire childhood, family, friends, career, and lifestyle choices have come under attack. That is because your disagreement picked at their false belief that they are omnipotent and omniscient, resulting in a narcissistic injury. Remember, Toxic people don't argue with you, they essentially argue with themselves, and you become privy to their long, draining monologues. They thrive off the drama and they live for it, each and every time you attempt to provide a point that counters their ridiculous assertions, you feed them supply. Don't feed the narcissist supply, rather, supply yourself with the confirmation that their abusive behavior is the problem, not you. Cut the interaction short as soon as you anticipate it escalating and use your energy on some decadent self-care instead. End quote. Gosh, isn't that wonderful advice? I thought that this insight was especially profound and I had never seen it mentioned anywhere else. Other diversions on the list include blanket statements and generalizations, deliberately misrepresenting your thoughts and feelings to the point of absurdity, nitpicking and moving the goalposts, changing the subject to evade accountability, covert and overt threats, name-calling, destructive conditioning, smear campaigns and stalking, love-bombing and devaluation, preemptive defense, triangulation, bait and feign innocence, boundary testing and hoovering, aggressive jabs disguised as jokes, condescending sarcasm and patronizing tone, shaming. 
Number 20 is control. Begin quote. Most importantly, toxic abusers love to maintain control in whatever way they can. They isolate you, maintain control over your finances and social networks, and micromanage every facet of your life. Yet, the most powerful mechanism they have for control is toying with your emotions. That's why abusive narcissists and sociopaths manufacture situations of conflict out of thin air to keep you feeling off-center and off-balanced. That's why they chronically engage in disagreements about irrelevant things and rage over perceived slights. That's why they emotionally withdraw, only to re-idealize you once they start to lose control. That's why they vacillate between their false self and their true self, so you never get a sense of psychological safety or certainty about who your partner truly is. The more power they have over your emotions, the less likely you'll trust your own reality and the truth about the abuse you're enduring. Knowing the manipulative tactics and how they work to erode your sense of self can arm you with the knowledge of what you're facing and at the very least, develop a plan to regain control over your own life and away from toxic people. End quote. So Shahida's article includes not only ways to spot these bullying behaviors, but also strategies for dealing with them. I don't often read something so life-changing, but that article changed the way I approach interactions with bullies and everyone else, and helped me heal past traumas just by making me understand what the heck was going on. Now, of course, constant attacks are traumatizing, and since so many autistics get bullied, we often suffer from PTSD, anxiety, and rejection sensitivity dysphoria. We also find it difficult to assess threat. When you get verbally abused every day, it can be hard to tell when that abuse becomes an existential threat. Finally, I want to be clear that it's not just autistic people who get chosen to be scapegoats. Anyone who can be othered can be scapegoated, and so people of color, people who don't conform to the cis-hetero norm, people who are disabled or just come from another culture, are targeted on a regular basis. This is why intersectionalism is so important to understand. The more othered you can be, the more precarious your situation is. Now here's some comforting words of the day. It's not your fault that you got bullied. You didn't do anything wrong, and you deserve to be safe. And here is your joke of the day. To be clear, I do not write these. I stole them fair and square from anonymous lists on the internet. What does a cloud wear under their raincoat? Thunderwear! <laughs> As we come to the end of the four weeks of the daily mini-episodes, tomorrow will be the last one. And it's going to be all comforting words. If you are interested in hearing more of my content and like Shakespeare, then you are in luck. I have two podcasts, one called There Will Be Body, and another one called The Twelfth Night Podcast by Rose City Shakespeare. I wrote a book called A Midsummer Night's Dream, Illustrated Handbook and Encyclopedia, and I'm also on a role-playing game podcast called Shattered Worlds RPG. I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for being Actually Autistic.